This podcast features detailed descriptions of real dead bodies. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Christine Levine, and you're listening to Found Dead. I'm Imogen, and I found a dead body. I need to assess his vitals. So I'm kind of mounted this guy. One of the other OFAs, he has gone into the next stall. He's gagging. I'm trying to kick the door open. Nothing, that stupid thing wasn't moving. Today's episode, The Body in the Bathroom Stall. I'm assuming a lot of the people who listen to this podcast haven't found a dead body. And by this point in the season, you're probably thinking to yourself that you know how you would handle a dead body. You know how you would react to a dead body. But do you? I've said before that there are a lot of reactions to death. That is always true. But universally, the first one is shock. Our stories have so far been unattended deaths. But even in an attended death, when you're the attendant, it's still a shock. You know, you know that you just saw someone take their last breath and you're witnessing something momentous. It feels heavy. Like on the other side of life, when you watch a baby be born and take its first breath, everything is different now. And then after shock, you tend to go into action. Most people who find a dead body feel a sense of obligation. They go out of their way to find help, even if the body is well past medical help. They don't rob it. They don't poke it with a stick. Even the most irresponsible people suddenly become like Hillary Clinton. Whether you like her or not, you think she's responsible for everything. Imogen is an actress and model from Vancouver, Canada. But when her story begins, she's working security at a casino. We had medical events quite often. A lot of the, a lot of the guests there are uh, seniors. There's a lot of heart problems. There's a lot of all sorts of things happening. So it's almost a daily occurrence to have some sort of a medical incident. So when I heard a call that someone in the bathroom might not be okay, it was a standard call. There was myself and two other security officers. We're knocking on the door, but there was no response. And from what I could see, just from stepping back, what I could see under the stall, the guy inside appeared to be on his knees. Well, in a bathroom stall, that's not a good sign. I mean, unless there's somebody else in that stall with you, honey. You know what I'm saying? He got no reason to be there. And he was not facing the toilet, so he was not throwing up. It was nothing like that. There was zero response. It was total silence. From stepping back, all, all I could really tell is that It's going to be difficult to get in there. Where he's positioned, there's not really much opportunity to get in. The door won't open. It's locked. He's not responding. So I went into the stall beside him. And now now I'm extremely flexible. I'm very bendy. I'm double jointed, kind of. So I can get into this really tight little area. So I'm now wedged between the toilet and the stall door. Because I can see on his, that's the only way I can get in is right beside the toilet. So I go in, I snake myself under in this yoga pose to get in there. As I pop my head up, I'm confronted with the bacterial infested black hole of death that is this man's anus. Because I literally have this man's rectum inches from my little snout. Now what had happened was he was sitting on the toilet when something happened. His pants are down around his ankles. Now this is a very large man. Later on, we were able to determine his height. He's 6'4", 6'5", and morbidly obese. He's on the toilet. So when he pitched forward, what happened was his feet kicked up and with the pants around his ankles had really tied his feet to the toilet. So he's on his knees, feet tied to the can, and he's face first in the corner, blocking the door and any other point of ingress. I cannot fit in there. But more importantly, in this exact moment, 
the weight of his ass had spread his cheeks. <laughs> no, I never knew this was a thing. His anus would have been completely relaxed. Am I reading this right? Am I reading this uh, Yeah, there's a little uh, runoff going on here. And so I come under the stall and I'm literally nose to hole <laughs> with this guy. Oh, so oh my God. I retreat quickly and I jumped up over the top. Now at the time I was doing, a, I, I'm very athletic. I was going to the gym two, three times a week, training with professional athletes. I'm not a professional athlete, but these are the guys that I was sparring with. I do weight training, cardio every day. How I imagine this is like, you're like one of those aerial things in Las Vegas, you know, like how pink does, and you just come down and you kind of fly down, they unravel in a ribbon, and then, and then, oh no, you're right next to his butthole. So yeah, so I go under the stall, I come up to his butthole, I bounce out and literally just like, point, point over the top. Because when, yeah. when I went under the wall, I couldn't get in, I could get my head in there, but this man was so big, I couldn't physically get in. So I had to come, I had to go back out and then over the top. Wow. So I slide under, I'm stuck, I sniff his butthole, I retreat quickly and parkour over the top and landed in there straddling the toilet. This is the only place my feet will fit is straddling the toilet. So now I'm looking down on this giant spread ass and I'm like, well, fuck, he's in medical distress. I need to assess his vitals. Mm -hmm. I can't see his face. So I can't see if he's cyanotic. I can't see yeah. if his lips are blue. But I need right. to assess his vitals. While straddling the toilet, I'm able to like kind of waddle around and climb around. So I'm kind of mounted this guy to be able to just check his, like at his neck, check his pulse. His hands are under his chest, like they're crushed under him. So I can't mm -hmm. even check his wrist one. It's that I have to get to his neck. He has a pulse. It's thready. I'm listening to his back. I can hear thready breathing. He is not oh. doing well. The other thing is that the other two officers that were with me, this is their terrain. Because at this point, I wasn't technically certified as an OFA. My certificate had expired, so there's legal issues in play. And when you work for a casino, legal policy and procedure will come first every time. It's extremely regulated here. So anything that's out of line, I can face major yeah. fines. The casino can face major fines. You know, at the very least of it, I'm going to lose my job if I step out of, out of bounds on anything. So at every step, I have to get permission from the OFA. I'm extremely communicative. I'm talking to this guy. I'm saying, sir, I'm right here. My name's Imogen. I'm here to help you. Can you hear me? Take mm -hmm. a deep breath if you can hear me. Make a sound. And there is no response. You're doing everything. It sounds like what a nurse would do, or you're being very professional. Absolutely. Right? Where I grew up, there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of injuries. This was a frequent thing. I learned at an early age that I am not part of the situation. I am just a delivery system for what needs to be done. So I have no contact with this. I have no emotional investment. I don't know this man. I'm not faced by it. I'm very autopilot and I'm looking at mm -hmm. it going, I need an identity. I'm talking to him the whole time, sir. I'm going to reach in your, I'm going to check your pockets. I need to know your name. I'm taking your wallet out. Your driver's license says your name is John Doe. John, can you hear me? I'm right here. I'm with you. We're help is on the way. Now, I also can't open the door to let someone else in to help maneuver his body to get him in a position. He needs first aid. At some point, I managed to like wrangle his pants down just to untangle his feet, just so that we can move him a little bit. Now, the thing that also made it kind of unintentionally hilarious is like, I have no footing in there. He is so huge. I have, I, I can't stand. I'm trying to kick the door open, but I'm literally like on my tiptoe in the corner, awkwardly like, yeah. the door. I'm trying to kick the door, but I can just tap it. And it's like, tap, 
you can't get any leverage. You can't, yeah, you can't move. No, not at all. And I'm thinking, this is the most ridiculous, like, I'm so short. I'm like, I'm five, seven, but in this instance, I'm way too short. I'm a dwarf. And I'm thinking to myself on some level, I'm like, I'm doing toilet ballet <laughs> in front of this yes. person who's mooning me. It's also worth noting the smell from his butt was so horrific. Like he had a, a big rash that one of the other OFAs, he has gone into the next stall. He's gagging. He can smell it from outside the stall. He's gagging. This is the smell of the man's ass. And you and you still treated him with so much dignity and respect. And you were by the book and did everything that you could do for him. He could be an amazing, wonderful person, or he could be the biggest piece of shit you'll ever meet. I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm working on mechanics here. Now, one of the things that I was doing, where I was, one of the things I was doing at the gym was I was doing uh, jujitsu. So a lot of holds and body manipulation. And this really came into play. That's the only way I was able to maneuver him was because I basically did some jujitsu moves to, he's three times my size. He's six, five, he's morbidly obese. I've got nothing. But the guys yeah. that I was training with are big boys. <laughs> You know, so I got him into, I maneuvered him enough that we could get another officer in there. But now there's two of us. So now we have even less room. We can't move. Right. We kick the door open. We tried putting both of our weight against that stupid little bathroom lock. Nothing. That stupid thing wasn't moving. One of the, one of the interesting things that I realized later is that like he, he wasn't really breathing. His breathing is very, very shallow. I can't, like his pulse is barely even there. But mm -hmm. the way that I was able to kind of dislodge him a little bit to move him, the only movement we got was I was doing this, it, it's called a seatbelt hold. So you take someone from behind and you've got your arms across. Like you lock your hands, you've got your arms over one shoulder, under the other arm. And in doing that, I was doing chest compressions on him. Kept his heart going. Oh my God, whoa. Proper chest compressions, proper mouth to mouth. You need the person lying down. You need them in a certain position. If it's not an option, you just got to do what's available. I've been in quite a few situations where adrenaline would normally come into play. Um, again, sort of circling back to some of, there were some periods of my life where there was uh, a lot of violence. Like I, I literally uh, had a couple of occasions where I woke up to a very large person sitting on my chest with a pillow over my face. Um, oh my the first words I woke up to, uh, there was a day where the first words I woke up to was, you decide when this ends, and he put a knife beside me, right? Um, so like just extreme violence and being able to keep oh. calm in those situations where it's just like, well, I guess that's what's happening today. People who have suffered trauma are so good we are the ones that you want by your side in a crisis because we are the ones that are going to step up and do improvised cpr moves on you we're the ones that are going to handle all the shit don't worry about it we rise to that occasion most of the time we have adhd and other shit going on with us but so we're not great friends sometimes but we are the ones that you can depend on. I mean, you know, like I'm always late. That's a, that's my thing. Like I, I can't be on time to shit. But you know what? If you're having a heart attack, I'm your girl. Yeah. Yeah. Rough water makes a makes a good sailor and you want the captain to be seasoned. So <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
What happens when musicians and audio engineers channel their creativity into a coffee company? You get Decibel Coffee Works. For owners Nick Hainig, Dana Fair, and Ian Hodges, the music and art communities provide them with daily inspiration. At Decibel Coffee Works, they share that inspiration in liquid form, bringing you their best coffee and favorite artists. Decibel Coffee Works purchases their ingredients from sustainable sources, providing a truly exceptional product while contributing to the longevity of the coffee industry. Whether you're shipping their excellent coffee straight into your drip machine at home or sipping a fresh cappuccino inside their cafe in Tucson, Arizona, we know you'll love what you get. You can go to decibelcoffeeworks.com today to learn more. And if you pop by the cafe, let them know that Found Dead sent you. And now back to the show. As, as it plays out, like I'm doing this and now I know I'm not going to be able to get him out of there. But the goal at this point is just to be engaged as much as possible until the paramedics can get there, until we can pop the door. We did not have any kind of tool that we could use. Like we had kitchen guys coming out, bringing us stuff from the kitchen to try and wed, like knock it open. And it just, it just wasn't doing it. That's a damn good door, honey. At this point, I'm talking to him in just, I'm talking to him the whole time. I don't know if he can hear me. I don't know what his level of consciousness is. I know that when I was able to actually see his face, I can see that his eyes are not responsive. His pupils are not responsive. I'm doing all sorts of sensory tests to see what his level of awareness is. And I'm not seeing anything. I just know that he's barely breathing. And at some point when I can see his face, I can see that he's gone cyanotic. His lips are blue. So this is not good. He doesn't have oxygen. The whole time I'm talking to him and I'm saying to him, John, I'm, you're going to be with your family. I'm going to get you home. You're going home tonight. We're going to get you out of here. Paramedics are on the way. I've got you. I'm right here. I'm with you. You're going to be with your family real soon. Right as I said that, I heard the rattle. His eyes rolled. You hear that that death rattle, that last breath, and blood just poured mm-hmm. out of his face. And yeah, yeah and, that, and he was gone. I didn't let go. Yeah. Like, it didn't stop what I was doing, but I know that's the moment that he let go. I also know that if I can keep his heart moving in some capacity or get any oxygen to him or whatever, then paramedics may be able to revive him. So I'm still putting the effort in, but I know Mm -hmm. he's gone. At this point, I'm just roughing up a corpse. But you kept going. I did. Yeah. A minute later, paramedics showed up. They've got the tool. They knew the whole situation. So they came in with the tool, like with the crowbar to just pop the door. And there's like six of them in there. And then like three more showed up because he was a big dude. It, it took six of them to carry him out on a stretcher. Yeah. They got him laid mm-hmm. down. They put the paddles on him, but they couldn't get him going again. So he was done. What affects me and is touching me right now is that your level of telling him that he was going home, all of those soothing words that he heard as he was leaving this world, those words of comfort, you're going to be okay, we're going to get you home, we're here for you, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. You know, they can hear things, you know what I mean? We hear stories about that. Even if he was unconscious, he might have heard you. And I just think that that's so beautiful that you were trying to help him and he knew that he was in good hands because you were there for him. I like to think that he could hear it kind of what helped him to stay as long as he did and again yeah. I don't know this person he might be an amazing human being who made the world a better place or it could be a good mm-hmm. thing he's gone I really have no right. way of knowing I know nothing about him but yeah. without that knowledge I have to give the benefit of the doubt I mean by the time it's done I've literally got like he's bled all over me like when he when he went his nose and his mouth just blood poured it gushed and yeah. I'm covered in it because I'm holding him he right. has he is soaked in his own urine. It's all over the floor. I'm now soaked in corpse piss and blood. 
and I had to finish my shift like that because I couldn't go home. No! Shut up! They didn't just say, hey, can you just, you should go home. You gotta clean up. This is not okay. They said, we're short-staffed. Do you mind staying? And I said, do I have the option? They're like, we can't let you leave. I'm like, and I was giddy. I'm like, I was just, I was in such a great mood after, which is odd because I've just literally wrestled. I just wrestled a fat corpse. I mean, I'm so blood and piss. And they're like, no, you can't leave. I'm like, cool. All right. But, but. I know. What? I know. How are you going to help other guests unless you've got another five corpses that need to be saved? I don't think I'm appropriate for guests to be help. You can't be around people. Oh, my God. But you know what? That's work, isn't it? That's that is when you find a dead body on the job, you just have to stay on the job. I did. I found a dead guy on the job, and guess what? I didn't get to go home, and then I had to show up the next day. I had a guy that I worked with who found a dead guy, just like I did, maybe a couple years later, and he tried to take the week off work. And I said, "Listen, buddy." I have empathy for you. I know that this was traumatizing for you. I know that it hurt you. I know that it scared you, blah, 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 blah. You know, I made the jerk off motion while I'm talking to him. I know that it bothered you. But listen, I would not ask you to do something that I didn't do. Here's the thing. It's a rite of passage for every porn clerk who finds a stiffy in the jack shack. You have to come back to work. You have to just walk it off because if we hid, if we cowered, if we didn't come to work every single time we saw something that bothered us or was traumatizing or made us sick to our stomachs, we'd never fucking come to work. We'll be right back. Hi, Christine here. I just wanted to come in and say that if you have been enjoying our show, we'd love it if you would go to your podcast app of choice and leave us a five-star review and share our episodes on social media. It'll help new people find our show so that we can keep bringing you great stories of finding dead bodies. It's just the way everyone wants to start their Friday morning. And now back to the show. Where do you think we go when we die? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I like to think that when it's my time, I'm just going to go to Lesbian Island. I think that's going to be wonderful. A whole lot of lesbian gymnasts just bouncing around. <laughs> is that your version of heaven, honey? That's oh, great. Oh, it is. Nice wading <laughs> pool full of pudding. See my chew toy there. See what that dude's up to. I'll be like, see, there's some girls that we can bring in the mix. This is what I want. <laughs> that is heaven. Yeah. That's so sweet. Do you have any kind of philosophical feelings about what happened here not specific to that situation i do have a bit of a belief in karma i think it can be a little arbitrary at times and because some things just simply don't make sense or at least i'm not equipped to figure out a lot of stuff but i do think that the motivation behind the action is kind of a lot more important than the action itself um Sometimes something looks, so there are a lot of situations where, where you have to make a hard call. Like you have to say no to someone that you really want to give something to, but to say yes and to concede with a request might be more harmful to them. So you kind of have to be a dick in the situation and, and be a hard ass and it's going to look real bad, but ultimately the motivation is for the well being of someone. So you may have to hurt them in the moment to see them do better later. Um, so wow. 
the motivation versus the actual outcome can be very different. And I think that they're important factors that go towards something that resembles karma. That guy could not have been almost saved by any better person. I think that end of life is very important how and how that's handled. It's it's such a crucial moment. And I think that every creature should have some comfort in those in those times. It is what it is. I, I was the delivery mm-hmm. system for that thing yes, that he should have had. So that was my role that day. So and then I got to spend the rest of my shift marinating in corpse fluids. So <laughs> I mean, not everybody else can say that, huh? That's very true. <laughs> very, oh my very god true. that shower must have been like hours long when you got home oh yeah i really really appreciate you being here thank you so much when i found the dead guy at the porn store i knew the situation was funny on the surface the guy died jacking it at the porn store come on he died doing what he loved <laughs> i mean that's the instinct of a comedian You just know when something's funny. So he wasn't in the ground yet when I started telling the story as a bit on stage. And at that time, I was very disconnected from it. I called his body a meat sack. I didn't give him a name. I presented the whole situation like it was nothing. I was 100% turned off emotionally. So if you've ever suffered trauma, you know all about shutting down. And I used to pride myself on my ability to compartmentalize. The thing is, when I told that story back then, the audience didn't laugh. They could tell I hadn't processed it. They were uncomfortable, and I think they could tell that I wasn't being real. So I had to process it. I had to recognize his humanity and my own as well. And now it's one of my favorite bits because, you know, now people can tell that it's a joke, but it is not a joke to me. Next time, we'll hear an update from one of our previous guests on the body after the interview. My name is Rick and I found another dead body. Found Dead is a Levine Entertainment production. This show is produced and edited by Nora Williams. Our logo is by Nora Williams based on a design by Chris Levine. Our theme music is Autumn Sunset by Jason Shaw. The interview you heard today was edited for length and clarity. If you found someone dead and would like to tell your story, reach out to us through email at founddeadpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at founddeadpod. I like to think like you made sure he got home. You made sure he got to his family and you didn't steal any of the cash out of his wallet, which is also hats off to you.